Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this Meet the Expert episode, Managing Editor Brian Gorman and Brendan Baker, Managing Director of the Valuable Change Company, discuss how to simplify change management and in doing so, help change leaders drive real value. We hope you enjoy this installment of the Change Management Review Podcast. Hello, this is Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of Change Management Review, and welcome to our podcast. I'm really looking forward to this one. Our guest today is Brendan Baker. Brendan's approach to change, keep it simple. As a leading expert in the field, Brendan has consulted on over $10 billion in key transformation projects and programs across a range of industries, including public infrastructure, business, cultural transformations, shared service implementations, restructures, process overhauls, technology deployment, and social policy. That's U.S. dollars. As you'll note, once Brendan starts speaking, he is not American. Brendan believes that as a profession, we have overcomplicated our approach to change management and has taken it upon himself to simplify it. In doing so, he wants to help change leaders drive real value. Welcome, Brandon. Hello. Thank you for having me. Brandon, the title of your book is Valuable Change, What You Need to Know to Ensure Your Change Pays Off. The name of your company is Valuable Change. What do you mean by valuable change? (laughs) That's a good question. And I'm going to give you a very, very, very simple answer for it. A valuable change is something that meets basically the needs or the desires of those orchestrating the change, uh, normally, normally an organisation. So it's really about meeting the, the opportunity or the needs or desires uh, of that change for the organisation. It really is as simple as that. So by that definition, isn't all change valuable? Does all, I guess, counter question there, does all change meet the needs of the organization? That's not what I found. Oh, Oh, so it actually has to deliver on the promise. Ideally, yes. Yes, that is is the essence of it. Yes. So in the book, you quote Leonardo da Vinci, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. I have long quoted one of America's Supreme Court justices, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Sr., who said, for the simplicity on this side of complexity, I wouldn't give you a fig. But for the simplicity on the other side of complexity, for that, I would give you anything I have. Um, I think it's important for our listeners that you're striving for that simplicity on the other side of complexity. Mm -hmm. Why? (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's a good question um i i something about you know occam's razor really really resonates with me right the simplest explanation is often often the correct one but what i've found is that when you're leading change and, and so i do a lot of work with change leaders and quite often there a change is put on their plate comes from up high or wherever it's whether it's not their idea or not but they have a change on their plate and they don't always, you know, they don't have the time to go and do the, the in-depth change management courses, the in-depth 
project management courses, the benefits management, and, and the various other ways because the industry has been very, very good at creating this depth uh, and, and and you can get very narrow and very deep in terms of specialization, in terms of this is how we change an organization, this is how we manage it through and, and whatnot. But if you're a change leader and you're already driving normally a BAU uh, function um, and, you, and you've got a change on your plate as well, you don't have time to do to get into that level of depth, nor do you have time to skill up across that. And so what you need is a simple answer. And, and that was one of the key determining factors that I found uh, across my entire experience is that if that change leadership is effective, then the change is far more effective and the change is often far more valuable. And, and so what I've done is I've boiled down those key components across my experience to say, okay, well, what are they, those key elements of change leadership? And, and I mean, that's, that's why I wrote the book and that's why I do what I do is to, you know, as you say, get on the other side of that complexity and take what are the, those, those crucial components that are important for, for every change and, and, and how do we utilise them and how do we deploy them as a change leader effectively and simply. So your book, and, and, and I really found it compelling to keep reading um, once I got into it, your book is divided into three parts. Part three is really a, um, here in the US, we would call it Cliff's Notes, Mm. Uh, summary of parts one and two. Part one focuses on the change, whatever that change is. And you begin that section with a look at asking the right questions. What are the right questions and what makes them so important? Yes. So I, I, I love these questions uh, because I, I, I'm the type that if you ask, the, look, a key philosophy of mine is if you, if you are asking the right questions, uh, that, then you're going to get the right, or you're, at least you're, you're one step closer to the right answers, right? Uh, so every change needs to have what I call a, a strong change core. And that change core is made up of three valuable questions. The first valuable question is why are we doing this? The second is how will we prove it? And then finally, the third is what exactly are we doing? And it needs to be in that order. The amount of times that I've seen changes go, okay, we're, we're, we're rolling out a new database. We're rolling out a new this. We're, we're upending our systems. We're doing, we're restructuring. They start with the what. And then they they go, okay, well, hang on. We will explain why we're doing this. Um, how, how, why are we doing this again? Uh, and, and so they then have to backtrack and, and get to there. And so ideally, I mean, it's, it is that, you know, that Simon Sinek start with why style idea, but it's something that's, that I've noticed was sorely missing in, in the change arena was this idea of starting with why. So we need to answer that effectively first. And your why needs to be emotive and compelling and, and effective in there, but you start with the why and why are we doing this? And then, and then you don't just then jump straight into the what. The second valuable question, which is how will we prove it, starts to translate that why. And it helps you keep away from the fluffy whys that we can all be really guilty of. And so if you do have a fluffy why, it's okay, well, let's, let's start to put that in, back into reality. What does that look like? What does success look like? And how will we actually demonstrate that we've, we've achieved success here? And then finally, you then get into what exactly are we doing? 
And that's where your things like how much is this going to cost and what is our scope and, and how long is it going to take and who do we need and all of those style questions, that falls into that third question there, that what exactly are we doing? But when you do it in that order, you minimise scope creep and you immediately eliminate unnecessary scope because you're able to track it through. You go, okay, well, this why naturally we're going to prove that through here. And then if you track that through again, you go, well, this is the proof we need. Um, and, and we only need to do two or three things to get that, to achieve the, that, that uplift in customer satisfaction or the, you know, however, whatever we are looking to shift and change, um, you've got that lovely track through. And look, that, that's, that forms that change call. So in this section of the book, you also introduce your valuable change model, which consists of two steps. Mm -hmm. Would you describe the model for our listeners? Yes, happy to. Uh, again, uh, I'm a big fan of simplicity. So two steps, I figured we could all probably get our heads around. Uh, I know I can. Um, so the first step is create the core. And the second step is drive the core. And so that, that first step, create the core, that's exactly it. That, that's exactly what we've just described, is answering those, those three valuable questions. Uh, and, you know, normally there's a degree of co-design in there. Normally there's engagement. That there's, there's those elements involved in creating that core and getting that functional. But create the core and make it strong. And then we move into driving it. And driving it is very much in terms of pushing out through what I call the ripples. And so there's a couple of ripples involved in that driving element. Uh, you've got your inside the change, which is where you start to look at momentum. And, and I think we'll talk about momentum a little bit more in this conversation. Um, and then you also then look at influence. How do we actually leverage influence and leverage connection more in particular across our organization to maximize the impact of this change? And, and, and so create that core and then ripple that, ripple that forward by, by driving it through the ripples. Can you share more about the importance of momentum and, and how you generate that? Because I know on a lot of the initiatives that um, never deliver what they promised, they, they take off with a roar and then sort of sputter out at the back end of the racetrack somewhere. Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. In fact, what I'll do, I'll share a little story and then, and then, then we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit. So real life, very much a real life project. Uh, and if, if it got fully up and running, and I'm spoiler alert, it didn't, but if it got fully up and running, uh, we're talking in the, in the realm of about a billion dollars uh, in, in terms of size. Quite, quite a large uh, IT backend style piece of work across multiple organizations. Um, and this thing had a shaky why from the get-go. It had a shaky core. Uh, but nevertheless, it had won the funding, that initial seed funding, circa 100 million, and it built up a team of 40, 50 people to get that up and running. That, that uh, project uh, was, was quite interesting. It started with that role. As you mentioned, it started with the role. Everyone was excited, huge scope, very exciting, very ambitious. This is, this is amazing. This is going to change people's, people's lives. This is going to be quite dramatic. Um, and yet it was that shaky call that started to ripple through and the momentum in that period. And so I, I measure momentum 
uh, on a cross-axis between hope and energy. And, and I'll give you a, a little sense of, of what I mean by those two terms. Hope is essentially optimism for the future and your part in that future. Energy is closer to how I would describe uh, my four-year-old, you know, that, that, that sense of enthusiasm and, and exuberance, right? So obviously we're not expecting our staff members to bounce off the walls and climb on the furniture like my four-year-old does, but uh, we are, you know, looking for that style of enthusiasm and, and the attentiveness, really. Um, so when you're thinking about momentum on an axis of those two, um, what this project, uh, they all, people, everyone starts at hopeful. And so this project started at hopeful. It was filled with hope. This is going to be amazing. And once it became clear that the executive leadership in that project became, was a revolving door, at one stage there were three executives in a week and a half. Um, quite, quite amazing, yes. Uh, <laughs> and that's not an exaggeration. Um, and, and so you see these, the hope start to shift. The hope starts to fall. And so they start to descend and the momentum starts to fall backwards. Uh, and, and so the, the stage below hopeful is fearful and so the fear starts to percolate through and and across this team people start start to worry about the future of the project and and therefore their own employment and and contribution to it and and then it continues on that exact path milestones are missed there are last minute scrambles which you know most most and almost anyone in change is probably familiar with the last minute scramble but last minute scrambles that ultimately then ignored um, arbitrary deadlines, um, but it was really that shaky core that, that killed that and it descended and it descended and it landed in the absolute pits of despair. Everyone started leaving. The, uh, the project was killed off. Uh, it was actually, well, it was killed off from that, from that organisation, picked up and handed to another government department. Um, so it was, a, and that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's an example of when you don't manage that momentum well. And, and, and you're not conscious of it, it's very easy to slip backwards. The alternative here, and I've already covered, I guess, a couple of the, the elements in terms of momentum, in terms of the downward slide, but if, if we're able to push up, if, let's say the hypothetical here, let's say that core was strong and we had that team, that hopeful team, 30, 40, 50 people, and we immediately engaged them, immediately empowered and, and had a really strong vision and helped them see their element in there, their, their own place in there, sorry. You would move them up to what I call motivated. And then you can actually move beyond motivated too. And that's why I like momentum because motivated is, is, is quite a, you know, as leaders, we often talk about how do we motivate people, all right? And, and motivation is quite narrow. Motivation is all about getting people to do what you want. Well, momentum is about creating the, the ripple and creating that energy through. And so the, the element above uh, motivated is what I call fanatic. And you create, you know, when, when you think of fanatic, you uh, think of, you know, people like the people that camp out overnight to get a new Apple iPhone or, you know, the, the, the people that used to that dress up for video games or books or whatnot for the overnight releases, you know, that's, that's a phenomenal level of fanaticism. And, you know, while we're not necessarily creating dressing up in our change, 
we are we, we can create fanatics and, and I have seen it because what, what what a fanatic does for you is that it creates a forward ripple it creates passive marketing within your organization and that's very very powerful so so just to I guess give the visual for you here what, what I've been describing is essentially what I call the momentum path so XY axis the y axis being hope the x axis being energy and then you have five stages within it at the, at the very bottom low hope low energy you have despair and and we all know people in despair we all have seen it or been there ourselves and that those are people that are stuck those are people that um, really don't know how to get out uh, and, then, and then the next step up from despair is fearful, which we've talked briefly about, but they're people that are essentially immobilized by fear. There's a little bit of hope, but they're immobilized by fear. Then you move up into hopeful, motivated, and then you then eventually into fanatic. And that's, that's the five stages of momentum. And there is an interesting pattern I'll note here is that it's not a 45 degree line. It's, it's not, uh, you know, hope and energy are built uh, in, in equal proportions. You need to build hope first. You need to focus on help first. And, and that's why this idea of thinking about, well, how, I can't, you know, someone's in despair and I don't know how to motivate them. You can't motivate them. That's, that's skipping three steps. You need to build hope first. And only once they see, once they have hope and optimism for the future and their own place in it, then only then can you move up. So build hope and then eventually that line moves over to the energy and you focus on, well, how do we empower? How do we challenge? And how do we give them something different to talk about? In the second part of the book, you focus on the people side of the equation and you introduce what you call the value equation. Mm -hmm. Not surprisingly, it's simple, three elements. Can you tell us about the value equation? <laughs> yes, I absolutely love the value equation. And funnily enough, uh, my wife loves the value equation. Um, the value equation is um, uh, the value equation is very, very simple. It's based on some behavioral research done um, over in Belgium. And it's it's I'll look, I'll tell you the equation now. It's it is reward minus pain equals decision. And it's a very simple lens to look at why anyone does anything. And so when, when I say reward, uh, I'm talking about basically anything that's positive from a decision. It's, I mean, it's almost a pros and cons style, but, but it's a little bit more than that. It's anything that, that's positive. Uh, and then we have the, the pain is, is anything that's painful. And that could be, you know, mental pain, physical pain, emotional pain, social embarrassment. Like there's a lot of way, things that, that, that can cover. And a lot of them we don't overtly think about. Uh, you know, one of the elements that, that I mentioned in the book is, and no one wants to change when their back hurts. And yet we don't often think about when we're rolling change through an organization. And we're, people may be, you know, dealing with, sciatica or, or RSI or all those other components of having worked in an office for, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, and yet we're then laying change on top and then we're wondering why they're resistant. It could just be they're in pain, they're, they're suffering. And so you need to like, correspondingly stack the equation. And, and 
that's why the value equation is so powerful because you need to you can look at ways at stacking those rewards and minimizing minimizing the pain could you give us a brief case example of how you've used this yes yeah 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 uh look in in fact it's i use it in we actually my wife and i use it in our everyday life we actually use it in our parenting uh so so um quite often um and you know i mentioned you know my wife loves this is because we will look at why why are our children not correspond you know not reacting or, or not buying into the things that we're, that we're trying to achieve with them um and it, we, we very simply talk about it in value equation terms. It's this really, really simple tool to, that allows you to go, okay, I can see the pain they would have had to endure there. It's a brand new task. Uh, it's a, um, uh, you know, they, they may have been feeling embarrassed. There's, there's, that, there's a few components in there. Uh, and then, but the reward side, may, they may not have seen the reward. We probably didn't describe it properly and whatnot. Um, and putting it in, in an organizational context, uh, it's, uh, I was, what was I doing? I was, uh, leveling up is probably a nice way to put it. I was, I was leveling up a change support office with a, a government client and there was resistance. Essentially the, the context there was, uh, this was a change support office, uh, that was supporting an IT portfolio and basically the entire IT portfolio had gone agile with its delivery method and everything else. Uh, but this change support office uh, was still resistant, didn't quite see the value, hadn't bought in, uh, and, and really was, was struggling to make heads or tails with how do we actually support this new way of working. And it was using the value equation that I was able to actually able to very, very quickly draw the picture for them. Uh, and it helped them understand, even on an individual basis, you know, through a few one-on-one conversations, here's some of the pain you might be feeling, but here's the rewards that lie in front of you. And you use it as, it's almost a back of the notepad style uh, discussion with them, where you can just draw it on, on a quick bit of paper or draw it on a whiteboard. And it very quickly paints the picture of, look, it, it helps them see the reward where they may not have been seeing it, uh, but it also helps their pains, their, their resistances, those those components they're going to have to overcome, it helps them feel validated about that as well. It helps them visualize that. So really, if, if I'm hearing this correctly, and I hadn't thought about this until just listening to you now, um, there is a value equation at the organizational level. And the value equation at the individual level is what's in, in this for me. It, it is, yes. Um, and it's, but it's, it's interesting in that um, the value equation is not just what's in it for me, but it's also, and what do I need to overcome? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yes, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and it's, that's why I like simplicity. And we mentioned earlier around simplicity on the other side of complexity. Um, that's why I like things like this, because it is scalable at, at all levels. I mean, I, I've absolutely done these at, at the change level as well. Um, and then you can spoil it all the way down to the individual level, even to a point of, you know, every day, as I mentioned with my wife and, and our children. Um, and, and so you scale up and scale down as you need, but it's a useful metric, useful tool. Here's what you wrote regarding change management's approach to the people who have to change. Mm -hmm. Quote, 
the industry has overcomplicated the who question. Stakeholder profiles, engagement strategies, communication approaches, impact assessments, change readiness questionnaires, saturation heat maps, and many more. Despite their often useful content, the truth is that when it comes to engaging and working with the people component of our changes, it's all too easy to fall into document overwhelm. When there are too many documents, it just becomes too hard." End quote. So what is the approach that you bring to the people side of change? <laughs> uh, look, I absolutely love that. And that's, um, that's not me taking a stab uh, in, in, in any way. That's very much me. That's based on my experience. I've seen a lot of very, very effective change practitioners get lost in documentation. Um, I've seen a similar change support officers and, and changes that just sit there whiling away, building these amazing readiness and, and uh, you know, and stakeholder profiles and all of these other things. Um, so my approach is, is simpler um, in that my approach is looking at the ripples. As a change leader, we need to be looking at the ripples. The first ripple is, uh, sorry, the, the, yeah, the first ripple that, that we're talking about here is that momentum piece. Is looking inside your change and how do we actually build that up? And that's something that uh, is is not considered as strongly as, as it could be or should be in, in typical change management. Um, but it's that third ripple that's that's uh, that's also interesting here. And that's when I when I talk about that third ripple, I'm talking about okay, how do we leverage our connection throughout the organization? And the art there is finding the internal influences. Now, the internal influences are those people that are often, sometimes they're hidden, sometimes they're not, um, but those are the, they are the people that really are the connective glue in your organisation. Those are the people that people go to, that people respect, that hold that social sway. In fact, uh, to help paint a picture here, uh, there is some science that this approach is based on. And uh, it's, it comes from a fantastic book. Um, so... Um, uh, Albert Laszlo Barabashi, I think, is uh, the, the professor there, a Harvard professor, I believe. He's written this book called Leaked. And in his book, he has essentially identified the, the pattern that underpins every man-made or human-made uh, network. And that pattern is one of hubs and nodes where you have these hubs which are responsible for the overwhelming number of connections across the network. And then you have nodes coming off them with a much smaller number of connections. To help illustrate um, that, that pattern, if you, uh, I want you to imagine the internet. Now the internet is, um, is, is quite interesting because you know human-made network, uh, but it's a perfect illustration of this because if I asked you to go to my website, uh, you, you know, you probably wouldn't type in www.valuablechange.com, although it's not too hard to do so. Um, and, and I'll encourage every listener to do it, of course. Um, but you'd probably just go to Google uh, and, and type in Valuable Change Co and go through Google because Google has over a trillion, several trillion, I believe, uh, linkages come off it. So it is, it is the epitome of the hub, but you've got, you've got Bing if you are so inclined uh, but there's also, you know, Facebook and Amazon and, and all of these other key linkage hubs that allow you to essentially navigate through the network that is the internet. 
what's interesting is that exact same pattern holds in our organizations. There are those people in our organizations that are those connective hubs and they are our internal influences. The art is in finding them. And so these are people that are typically either A, they're a value adder. So, you know, it's almost the Midas touch, but they, but they, they add value to, to everything they touch. Or they're B, an information broker. And that is someone that they, everyone goes to for the latest updates, the latest gossip and, and whatnot. And so finding them is relatively easy. Uh, and, and so the strategy that I use actually um, almost reverse engineers a, a, a concept from the um, social sciences field, this idea of snowball sampling, where when, when you run a snowball, uh, when you're doing snowball sampling, you essentially uh, run a survey and then you ask someone to recommend who else you should survey. And then you go and survey them and, and it cascades down. Um, but what's not often, I guess, uh, acknowledging that snowball sampling space is that you're probably getting those same names over and over again. And, the, and that's what we're interested here when we're looking for those internal influences. We're looking for those overlaps, those people that are, that are recommended multiple times. And so we, you, run, you run a very simple survey within your organisation and you ask just two questions. The first being, if you could work with anyone, sorry, if you could work on any project of your choosing, which three people would you choose to work with you? And the second being, who do you go to for gossip, information, news, and, and updates? And you ask those two questions and you then count the names and you tally the names. And the names that come up more often, uh, they, they are most likely your internal influences. They are those people that are connectors. And those are the people that you then enlist. And, and it's, it's very much, uh, I call it change champions on steroids because it's, you're finding and embedding those change champions and enlisting them to your cause, but you're doing so in the most efficient and effective way because they are the ones that hold the, the network that is the organization together. So Brendan, we're going to have to wrap up in just a few moments. Um, what else would you like to share with our listeners? Look, my, my takeaway today for, for the listeners is have a look at, at what you're doing and, and ask yourself, is there a way to do this simpler? How, how, how can we do this simpler by boiling this down to uh, almost grassroots? Revisit the ba basics and, and, and how can we do this simpler? Um, that's... Uh, you know, your listeners are likely on the other side of complexity. That they, they probably understand the change management. They, they probably have that depth. Uh, so, so the challenge to them is how can how can you as a as a listener boil it down? How can you pull out your own change leadership and 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 bring that forward? Great, thank you. Uh, again, Brendan Baker, valuable change. What you need to know to ensure your change pays off. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review podcast with Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of the Change Management Review, and Brendan Baker. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and like us on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.